Today's gospel will be read from Romans 12:23. The blue book in the pew is your Bible if you care to read along. <clears throat> That's Romans 8:12 through 23. So then brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry. Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willing, but because of him who 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 subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we now know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we await eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemptions of our body. This is the word of God. Let us pray together. Lord God, we are a needy people. We can do nothing apart from you. Lord Jesus, you declared it. We are branches that must be implanted in the vine, grafted into you. It is your life alone, Lord Jesus. As you declared, from our innermost being would flow rivers of living water. It is because of your spirit dwelling in us, your spirit that you have given to us, giving us new life so that we can say, Paul can say to us, that all things have become new. We are new creation in Christ. The old has passed away and the new has come. Thank you, Lord, that we are We have a new self in you. Thank you, Lord, that we can consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. And that we can present ourselves to you 
as living sacrifices, resurrected with Christ, seated with Him in the heavenly places, His workmanship created for good deeds that are prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Oh Lord, we are a part of a new age that has broken into this world. It is the new age and the new kingdom that one day will take over this world when the kingdoms of our Lord, will, of this world, will become the kingdoms of our Lord, of our Christ. Lord, we thank you that we now are tasting the powers of that kingdom, that we are living out the life of that kingdom even now in the midst of of this world that opposes you. We thank you that as members of your church, as members of Christ, as children of God, as the bride of Christ, united with Christ, that we have become salt and light in this world, that we have become the instruments for spreading the very peace of God in the earth. We thank you for such nobility that we have been made regal, royal. We sinners who deserved justice, who deserved punishment forever because we had committed mutiny against you. And yet, in your mercy and grace, you have made us your own. You have made us your children. And you have made us your messengers. We, by your grace, are the light of the world. We thank you for the fellowship that we enjoy in Christ. We thank you that we all have been humbled by your grace, humbled by acknowledging our sins, that together, Lord, we can join and exalt you as our only Savior. Together we can acknowledge our helplessness. We thank you for the bond that we enjoy with one another. We thank you for the fellow feeling and love for Jesus and the similar struggles that we have with our sin and how we can encourage one another day after day to follow Christ and encourage one another that, yes, you are new in Christ. Yes, you are his workmanship and you can turn from sin and manifest all the more the love of Jesus Christ. We ask, Lord, that you would continually draw us close to one another and bind our hearts to one another and fulfill your commands that we would live in patience and kindness and forgiveness toward one another. That we would be united with one mind. That we would consider one another as more important than ourselves. That we would consider one another's interests and not simply our interests. That we would have the mind our whole body that Christ Jesus had when he laid down his life on the cross and gave himself away so freely. May this mark our fellowship. You said, Lord Jesus, that they would know that you are Christians by your love for one another. May that love grow and expand in wonderful ways in our commitment to one another, our prayers for one another, our care our tender service, our use of our gifts for one another. 
in all of our gatherings, Lord, in this place for worship and outside for various fellowships. And Lord, may you use us powerfully to bring salvation to this city and to the world. Lord, may we see ourselves in this position as light in this world, in every conversation that we have, every encounter with every unbeliever, with our neighbors, with those we go to school with, with those we work with, those in the community. Lord, in every encounter, may we have as our focus, Lord, I am yours. Use me and enable me, Lord, to manifest your love to this person. Oh, Lord, we pray that in the context of that servanthood, in that ministry, that we will share your gospel freely and openly in the right context, in wisdom, without violating uh, grace and circumstance and relationship. But Lord, we indeed will give them the good news of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for that privilege because you have said how beautiful are On the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. We have good news. We have the only good news that is in the world in the end. The only good news. Lord God, bless us that we will make it known. And now as we come to your word, open our minds to understand it to embrace it, believe it, and live it out as children of God. For Jesus' sake, amen. One of my favorite things in a fairy tale is when a prince, as this has happened in several tales, has to be protected, had to be taken out of the palace and out of the royal surroundings and raised with someone in the woods, maybe an older couple and uh, incognito, nobody knows who he is, until one day, 12 years old, a great royal figure comes and rides into the, the, to the cottage and He's never seen anybody with such glorious dress and he's got a retinue with him of other gloriously dressed people and there's this huge trunk that they're carrying on a wagon and this princely man sits down with the boy and begins to explain to him that you are indeed the prince of this kingdom. And he opens the trunk and he pulls out the royal clothes and the royal seal and the crown of the prince and the rings and all the accoutrements of his majesty and royalty and says, and this kid has never seen anything of any wealth at all, and his minds are just bulging out, and he says, this is yours, and it represents a whole kingdom that is yours. I think of that when seeing a passage like this in which Paul, just like Galatians, where we covered last week, cannot talk about adoption and our belonging to God without then going on to say, and since we're children, we're heirs. 
We're heirs of God. We're going to inherit a kingdom. And he begins to talk in this passage about how it's so glorious. Even the creation, the subhuman creation itself in the language here is standing on its tiptoes, craning its neck because it's looking forward to the day when we will be revealed in our majesty and glory as God's children. It boggles your mind. We don't think about it. The end of the world will mean the revelation of Christ and the revelation of you people. (laughs) Do you understand? The final act in history is the revelation of your glory as the children of God, sharing in the very glory of Christ. It is amazing the destinies of each one of you. And I want to just pull the treasure chest out and pull the rings and the crowns and say, this is yours, this is yours, this is yours. And I love how John puts it in John chapter 3. He says, it is not yet appeared what we shall be. See, sure doesn't look that way. You look and say, well, I got age spots just like everybody else and I got wrinkles and sags and, you know... I've got problems and pressures and I sure don't feel like a king, a queen, but you are. And he cannot, he never talks about hardly sonship without talking about this glory. Now, this morning we're going to talk not about that, but all next week we will, our new future in Christ. But this morning we're going to talk about two aspects of our sonship and a third for next week. The first is we have a new freedom in Christ as sons. And by the way, I hope you won't be offended that I use the word sons because it's used here. But especially in that context, the son was the inheritor of all that the parents had. So, in effect, all of you daughters have been made sons in terms of privilege. You see what I'm saying? That you have all the privilege Uh, as it's declared in that society, of a son. So we all are sons, not to obliterate your femininity, but to exalt you to say, whatever the sons get, you get. And you're called the same thing. Because it, it, it has to do with that privilege and that inheritance. So as sons, we have a new freedom in Christ. And as sons, we have a new family acceptance in Christ. And both of those things are set forth in this passage. But then uh, toward verse 17 and 18 and following, we have a new future in Christ. But we won't have time to get to that this morning. So we have a new freedom in Christ, a new family acceptance and a new future. Our new freedom in Christ, if you look with me, and by the way, page 944, if you don't have... Uh, your Bible and would like to use the Pew Bible, it would really help for you to have the passage open as we look at it. And hopefully, if you're visiting with us, it will underscore the fact that we're not trying to teach our ideas, but what the Word itself says. So we'd be referring constantly, here's what the Scriptures say. This is what we believe to be the Word of God. And there's no reason for me even to be here except to try to teach what God's Word says. This phrase then in verse 12, he says, So then, brothers, brothers, and there's a, 
therefore, you see all that's come before, so then we're debtors not to live to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, and the unspoken part of this, but we're debtors to the Spirit, to live according to the Spirit. But that part's more or less understood. And then he says in verse 13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. I think it's very important in this passage to see how Paul got to this point. Because he talks about, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. So we're not debtors to the flesh to live that way. We must not live that way. But if we go back a few verses, we'll see Paul teaching us what does this mean to live according to the flesh. He, he fills that in so that we understand what he's talking about. Notice back in verse 6, very similar phrase, set, to set the mind on the flesh is death. See how very much like verse 12 that is, or verse 13. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. Verse 6, if you set your mind on the flesh, it is death. So they're talking about the same thing, this orientation to the flesh. But notice, then he tells us what that is. In verse 7, the mind that is set on the flesh is A, hostile to God. B, it does not submit to God's law. C, verse 8, it cannot please God. So there is the makeup of living according to the flesh. The flesh is that part of us that is in rebellion against God. It is that part of us that refuses God, refuses to trust Him and love Him and enjoy Him and honor Him and serve Him. So if we are living according to that part of ourselves, that self, that flesh, then we are hostile, we do not submit to Him, we will not please Him. And this makes up our natural life. Basically, our backs are to God. Now, this, of course, then, we're giving in to everything that opposes God. Now, he describes it in a comprehensive way. If you back up to verse 2, he calls it, in this phrase, he says, The law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The word law here means the principle or force that is working in us. This principle of sin or this control or force of sin that leads to death. So to live according to the flesh is to be in this pattern of being dominated by sin and that leading on to death. You might think of a dungeon and you're chained to a grinding wheel of your own rebellion against God's goodness. Whatever else you may do, be doing and, and enjoying in the success of the world in terms of God and His will, in terms of fellowship with Him, though, and enjoyment of Him, you are in rebellion. And your life is pictured in Scripture, no matter what else is good, good is happening to it, fundamentally, where it really counts, you're in this grinding wheel of self and rebellion against God pushing forward with your own purposes and motives and desires against Him and going nowhere that really counts. That's the picture of this principle of sin 
and death, this grinding wheel. Or perhaps you can think of a car careening down a hill with no brakes. Sometimes when I'm going down a real steep incline, and you've done this before, you think, man, if I didn't have any brakes, where would I go? You know, just imagine. And I, when I was a kid, I would picture, you know, what would I do and how would I stop the car and all these scary things. Well, how will we escape? We are trapped. We are engulfed in our own sinful rebellion against God. By nature, we live according to the flesh. We're hostile to Him. We refuse Him. We won't obey Him or please Him. But what does He say in verse 2? He says that the the law or the principle of the Spirit of life has set you free from that grinding wheel, from that car. You're out of the dungeon, out of the car. So... It has been broken, set free, and notice by what? The Spirit of life. The Holy Spirit who gives life. Life here is a new power, a new capacity, an energy, a motivation to follow God. It is dynamic, transforming life that breaks in and stops the grinding wheel and stops and pulls you out of this careening, destructive lifestyle that has refused God. But this is wonderful, wonderful news. This is gospel. He has set you free. You are free from that domination by sin. It is no longer your life. And so he explains how in verse 3. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. The law would command us to do something. And because we're so selfish and fleshly and opposed to God, it'd just make us rebel all the more. And then it would make us feel guilty. And that would make us want to disobey God more. And we're just in this terrible guilt and sin and disobedience and death. So the law by itself could do nothing. But what did he do? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. He broke the back. He judged sin in the flesh. And what was the result? So the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So that the law, would, we would begin to obey the law from the heart. We would no longer be hostile to God. We would no longer not submit to God. And no longer not please God. But we would, out of love and devotion to Him, want to give our lives to Him. So that the law is now actually being fulfilled in us. Because as he says in verse 5, We're now walking according to the Spirit and not the flesh. So when you walk according to the Spirit, you've been set free from this treadmill and grinding wheel of sin. And now, by His grace, where you couldn't be graciously giving yourself and happily giving yourself to God from the heart, now you begin to embrace His will with love and trust and joy to obey this one who has forgiven you of your sins. And so we are set free to please Him and obey Him. And I want to remind you that when the law is fulfilled in us, it simply means we've begun to walk in love. 
Okay? Just don't have a negative idea of just obeying the law in some kind of brittle, sterile way of just doing things in the law. Later in Romans 13, 8, Paul says, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for the one who loves has fulfilled the law. So when Paul thinks about our fulfilling the law, the law being fulfilled in us, he means that we have begun to walk in love where before we would not walk in love because we wouldn't walk according to his word, which commands love. But we were hostile to this God of love. We were hostile to this God who would command us to forgive one another. No, we're not going to forgive. We're going to get revenge and we're going to gossip about them too. And that was our lifestyle, for instance. But now, the law of love is beginning to be fulfilled in us. Love is always, of course, the central part of everything He commands. The very fruit of the Spirit that's been spoken of here, what's the first word out of Paul's mouth? The fruit of the Spirit is love. So, when this Spirit is setting us free and we're walking according to this Spirit and not the flesh, we're going to be walking according to love. And the fruit of the Spirit is going to be showing itself in our lives where before we didn't. We may have been, as we said in Sunday school class, decent neighbors, fine citizens, nice people and all, but to love like God loves, to love the unlovely, to love our enemies, to love those who do us wrong, to lay down our lives in greater and greater sacrifice that really begins to look like Jesus Christ, love with a capital L, it ain't happening until the Spirit works in us and sets us free from all of our self-protection and our self-exaltation. And all of this is in Christ Jesus The Spirit of life has set you free in your union with Christ Jesus. And isn't it interesting that in the Old Testament, back in the Old Covenant, when they're talking about what's going to happen in the New Covenant in Christ, one of the central promises was, I will put my law in their hearts, I will write it on their hearts, and I will put it there. I will be their God And they will be my people. So that relationship of intimacy, that they belong to me and love me and I love and embrace them. And at the heart of that is from within, they'll have a heart that wants to keep my word. And that's what we see fulfilled right here, isn't it? Through Christ, what happens? The law is being fulfilled in us. We're beginning to walk in a whole new love because of the Spirit setting us free. By His grace. So, you can see then what He means in verse 12 when He says, We're debtors not to live to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. What does that mean? If you live in hostility to God and you don't submit to His Word and you're not seeking to please Him, you will die. But what's the opposite of that? Well, we know that it must be that we do submit to His law and that we do please Him and that we're not hostile. But isn't it interesting how he puts it in verse 13? If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. There's the contrast. That's understood. If I'm no longer hostile to God, 
If I now am submitting to His law and I am seeking to please Him, what's that going to look like by the Spirit? I'm going to be putting anything that opposes Him to death in my life. That's the way, that's the evidence that the Spirit is working in my life. I'm putting to death the deeds of the body. So the Spirit who sets us free, verse 2, okay? He has set you free from this grinding wheel of sin. How does that look? I'm so set free from sin that I'm not only not walking in it, I'm putting it to death in my life. That's how I exhibit my freedom, that I despise anything that opposes Him. And I will not live calmly and happily and in a friendly way with anything that opposes Him. I will not embrace it constantly and pat it on the head and nourish it and grow it in my life. I will oppose it as I cultivate everything that makes me more and more one who loves God and loves people. So it means I'm recognizing sin. I'm acknowledging and admitting that sin to God and to others. I'm confessing it. I'm being broken over it. I'm hating it. And I'm acknowledging the forgiveness that I have in Christ over these sins. And I'm maintaining this sense of sin's ugliness and destruction against God. I'm no longer, you know, siding with it against God, but I'm, I'm recognizing how hateful it is. I'm even asking, why am I doing this? Why am I not believing God? Why am I not trusting Him more? How can I trust Him more? How can I make more of His grace available to myself? How can I couple with other believers and be accountable so that I can walk more and more in the grace of Christ? I'm praying that prayer of Psalm 139. Lord, search me and know me and see if there be any hurtful way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. And so, I'm guarding against the first rising of sin in my heart. I'm trying to avoid even the thoughts of sin. I'm trying to avoid the occasions of sin, to stay away from things that draw me into sin. And I'm trying to cultivate all of the graces that crowd and choke off sin. That's my life. That's part. That's my freedom. This is who you are. And the, and the good news is, you can and will live this way. In fact, the translation here, some have translated this, not if by the Spirit you put to death the sins of the body, but they take this word and say, since by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body. Others say, well, it still is an if, but it has included in this little word something of that sense. So there's, it's a necessity that you do it, but it's certain that you will do it as you're His people. This is your calling. This is your new self in Christ. The old things are passed away. What old things do you think that means in 2 Corinthians 5, 17? The old is passed away. The new has come. It's the old life of sin. It's the old life of disobeying Him and disregarding His Word. Now I have a new and glorious life. All things are new in Christ. New for new obedience. New for new conformity to Christ Jesus. So every sin has to do with some remaining lack of love for God or love of people. So actually this is just a call to walk in love and oppose anything that would be 
against love in your life. So I'm getting rid of anything, eliminating anything in my life that is not conformed to loving God or loving people. Abolishing, purging it. It's like we say weeding the garden and pulling them up by their roots and letting them, putting them on the sidewalk and letting them die. I had a little, always have a secret satisfaction the next day to walk out and say, the weeds are brown. <laughs> you know, they're dead. They're just gone. And that's what we want to do by His Spirit. But notice how He puts it there in verse 13. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. It is what He does in His unlimited power as God, dwelling in you. Yes, you are responsible because it says you put to death. You don't just sit around and magically it happens. It automatically just happens. And you're going to become more and more like Christ, more and more conform to His will just by osmosis. But in all of your actions, the ultimate great power that is involved is the power of God Himself. And brothers and sisters, nothing can stand His power. Your sin cannot stay standing in a war against God. It will not. It is absolute. He has set you free. He has set you free. You are living the new life of putting sin to death in your life. And notice, this is very important. In verse 14, he says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. This is not talking about some kind of nebulous whispering in your ear that today I'd rather you drink 2% instead of skim. You know, that kind of thing. Like somehow I'm being led by the Spirit of God in these nebulous ways. If you're led by the Spirit of God, well, I sense that He's leading me today. It's not, that's not what it's talking about. Specifically, it's saying if you're led by the Spirit of God, then you will be submitting to His Word. You will be wanting to please Him. You'll be putting sin to death. And that shows that you're His child. And isn't, and I just end on this note, the same Spirit in verse 15 that says, He has given you the Spirit of adoption by which you cry, Abba, Father. That intimacy with Him, that wonderful intimacy of saying, I'm accepted and beloved by God. That's the Spirit that is setting you free from sin. He does both things. In fact, the very, the very cry of Abba Father, this attachment to Him, gives you the motivation that you, you only want to please Him. In fact, and I'm jumping ahead here, and I'm just borrowing this quote. We'll probably talk about it next week, but... This, this was a remarkable quote from uh, Dr. Cranfield, who wrote a great commentary on Romans. He says, in effect, that the whole law of God is really focused on this one thing in verse 15, that we would be able sincerely, truly, and increasingly to say, Abba, Father, in everything that it means. He says... Nothing more is required than we should cry this, make this cry. 
This includes seeking with our heart to be and think and say and do what is well-pleasing to Him. Avoid all that displeases Him. He said that goes without saying. That when you say, Abba, Father, you're embracing His love, you're enjoying His acceptance, and you're saying, Oh, Abba, Father, I want to do Your will. Oh, Abba, Father, I want to be like You. Oh, have a father. You have given your own son for me and you've given me an inheritance that I can hardly imagine. Oh, Lord, I turn my back on anything that opposes you. So I love what Cranfield says. The whole Christian life, the whole law really points to one thing. To be able to say sincerely from the heart, Abba, Father. Because the spirit that enables you to cry that is the spirit that removes sin from your life and enables you to do that. Could he do anything but that? Let me ask, what happens to you when your child is sick? What happens when your child is is hurt? And don't you just, you want to give your life if possible to get that hurt out of your child. You want to take it on yourself if you could. You hate that, that hurt, that pain, that sickness. You, you feel like it's your enemy almost. And you wish you could remove it. Do you think, or what about a dog attacking your child or your child sinking in a pool? Think of how quickly we come to the rescue. How is God going to feel about sin in your life but to employ all of His energy and power to enable you to be getting rid of it? And he does it in love. And he does it in embrace. And he does it as you struggle and many times fail. And you don't do it right the first time. You don't do it right for the first ten times. But you're his child. And he just continues to embrace you. And to put in your heart this cry, Oh, Abba. Oh, Daddy. Oh, Daddy. I love you. And I enjoy your love. And I give myself to you to do your will. Oh, what a glorious thing that we have a new freedom. In Christ. Let us pray. Oh Lord, you have set us free. You have set us free from this dungeon, this grist mill, this treadmill, this careening car headed for destruction. You have interfered happily into our lives. You have broken in the spirit of dynamic, transforming life, this spirit that indwells us. And in so doing, you have put your law in our hearts, written it there, and Lord, from our innermost being, we are beginning to want to please you by your grace. Lord, even now, if there are those here who say, I've never trusted Christ like that, I've never just cried out and said, Lord Jesus, save me, forgive me, and Lord, may your spirit of life come and indwell me and continually transform me. And Lord, thank you that this spirit that sets us free from sin, this spirit that enables us to engage in a lifetime battle against anything that would oppose love, This spirit, in the very same action and for the same purpose, calls us to say, Oh, Daddy, oh, Father, and to know 
know from the bottom of our heart that we are your children. Oh, Lord, when we know we're your children, and we know as Paul begins this chapter that there is no condemnation, how that sets us free to want to please you in every part of our life. Grant it, Lord. Grant that we will say from the heart, a heart that even wants to give itself completely to your will, And we say sincerely, oh, Daddy, Father, bless us with that freedom which you have promised in Christ Jesus that is ours. Oh, thank you, Lord, for it. In Jesus' name, amen.